You're listening to The Spirit Hunters on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Find out about our pod brethren and how to join our new Discord group and support the show at greenlitpodcast.com or patreon.com slash spirithunterpod, respectively. And welcome to season two, episode forty of the Spirit Hunters. This is Hannah, Patrick, Joe, and Sarah. So last time, we ended up cursing ourselves to die in seven days, and or slash opened a door to the demon world. Oops. This week we're back from break, and in honor of having finished Hunter Hunter 99's TV run, we decided to cover the production and the people behind it. Believe it. Yeah, so today we're going to start with a little bit about Nippon Animation uh, and the production history of the show. Nippon Animation are the people who made the show, but uh, the company itself um, was founded in 1962 as Zuiyo Eizo, which literally means Wednesday Visual Media. Um, the Wednesday part can also be the ancient way you refer to the planet Mercury. So this is either Mercury Media or Wednesday Media, both of which are... I mean, Mercury Media sounds good in English, but not really in Japanese. I'm not exactly sure. There might be some meaning there that I'm unaware of. But uh, Mercury Wednesdays. Yeah, Mercury Wednesday, baby! That's where we all just listen to Freddie Mercury. It's a pretty good time. Hey. But uh, it changed to its current name in 1975. Uh, the entire company is located in Tokyo with its headquarters in Ginza and production studio in Tama. It's most famous for making World Masterpiece Theater, an anime based on literature including Heidi of the Alps, Anne of Green Gables, and Tom Sawyer, all of which were pos- uh, popular across Asia in the 70s and 80s. The series ran and uh, was originally produced by animation studio Mushi Productions, who began it with the original Dororo by Osamu Tezuka. But the series officially began and ran from 1970 to 1997 and was briefly revived from 2007 to 2009. Incredibly famous animators, including Ghibli's Miyazaki and Takahata, worked on it at various points. Apparently, Miyazaki left during the production of an Anne, of, uh, an Anne Frank anime. You know, odd choice. What? Yep, there was. There have been at least two major Anne Frank animes, I found out. Did anyone, uh, did anyone make uh, Anne Frank a magical girl? Oh, um, did, have you seen Madoka Magica? Yeah. I really wouldn't be surprised if canonically in that Anne Frank is a magical girl, because they really just added every famous young woman to being a magical girl for no reason. Weird huh. stuff. I still yeah. think the John Dark one was kind of weird, too. Yeah. Anyways, um... He left to make Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliostro, which is, while it's not officially the first Ghibli film, it's widely considered the first Ghibli film because of the it's people who were movie. on it were basically who would be Ghibli later. It's kind of weird thinking that, that Lupin was a Ghibli movie. Um, I mean, have you seen Castle of Cagliostro? Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, Castle of Cagliostro rules. I think it's very, it's a lot less lewd. And a lot more heartwarming than other Lupin stuff. I love Lupin, but it's it's kind of categorically different, and it seems like it makes a lot more sense with Ghibli. Yeah, and I yeah, think no, it, it definitely gave me that vibe when I watched it. Stylistically, you can really see that, even though it's like pre-Ghibli, there's so much of the Ghibli style that we know as of today in it. Hmm. 
Oh, fun, fun story. Um, I recently found out from a user on Twitter who I don't remember their name off the top of my head, but I'll try to include it in the notes. Um, who translates stuff from uh, like interviews and stuff from Japanese about Yu Hakusho and the like, who also points out a lot of localization details. Apparently, the scene of Hokushin stabbing Yusuke with the fake knife and then having like the fake thing, like the, the thing of like country flags, like the UN, is a direct reference to Castle of Cagliostro, where like Lupin does the same thing with the flag string. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it blew my mind because I had never noticed it. I, I always just thought, like, why the fuck did Hokushin do this? This is just a weird thing to do, but it turns out it's a big reference. So, um, back to the uh, World Masterpiece Theater. Um, the series switched from Mushi to Nippon Animation, and uh, this was in 1970, and it was prompted by the terrible economy in 1970 and the resultant bankruptcy of Mushi. So... To make it more attractive to animation studios, like to make World Masterpiece Theater more attractive to animation studios because it was kind of uh, licensed out, each company produced the work with the explicit premise that it would be exported to recoup costs, hence its cross-Asian popularity. Like it basically got sent all over the world. Apparently, most of its work was broadcast all over the world, minus the US and the UK, with the exception of the Lassie anime, Meiken Lassie. From 1996, there's a Lassie anime. Yeah, the there's dog, a Lassie right? anime from '96. Dog. Did they put? Did they put the dog down on that one? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Timmy was in the well, and then he met a girl who's been in that well for 40 years. And then they killed Lassie. Yeah, they, they put Timmy got put onto a videotape, and that's what the Lassie tapes actually are. Dang. Yeah, but this was only shown in Japan. You know, this incredibly categorically American show was only shown in Japan because fuck it, I guess. I mean, it makes as much sense as an Anne Frank anime. <laughs> well, to be fair, the Diary of Anne Frank is like uh, incredibly worldwide popular, so I kind of get doing it. Um, and it wasn't exploitative; it was like uh, just a literal retelling. I think is what I could tell, but it's still it is still weird because you know you don't think about it that way. Yeah, Anne Frank Lee, it was pretty weird. Mm. Anyways, um, besides Lassie, uh, their shows were shown in Europe, uh, East and Southeast Asia, and the Middle East. Apparently, Hong Kong got a show based on Les Miserables, uh, the character Cosette. There was like an anime about this little girl. What is with all these animes being based off these this stuff? I mean, the whole point of this is like, hey, literature from across the world. So I guess, like, for instance, there was a Tom Sawyer one that was really popular in the Philippines in like the 80s and 90s that also has a Famicom game based on it that didn't come to the U.S., even though it's a U.S. property. Because, you know, N-Word Jim is in it, which is like okay, you know, this is in the original work and, like, this is, like, an important character. But then the RPG also adds another character who is just, like, a black stereotype who's, like, not realistic, like, N-word Jim. And it's just like, wow, this is this is terrible. Glad this didn't come over. Oh, wow. That, that you're actually serious, though? Um, ser- What do you mean, serious? They actually added that character into the into the, the NES game? Um, Thinking about it, I'm unsure whether that NES game is for this anime or another Tom Sawyer anime, but my guess is it's from this because I doubt there's more than one major Tom Sawyer anime. Jeez, what a weird thing. It's it's like Liberty's Kids except anime. Yeah. So the U.S. only got some of the Tom Sawyer and Little Women shows uh, and, and then another show called Throne of the Mysterious Island, which I could find, like, no information on. The U.K. only got one show, and it was the version of Peter Pan that they made. I don't know why. Um, apparently outside of stuff based on Western literature, their most popular work is, uh, you guys have probably actually heard of this one, maybe, uh, Chibi Maruko-chan, 
All right. It's from 1990. It's a classic slice of life anime about an unusually intelligent elementary school age girl and her family and friends. Um, yeah, let me let me double check. Oh no, I was I, gonna say, you've probably seen pictures of her and just didn't realize it was from a famous yeah, show. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the pictures before though. I just never seen the show. Yeah, so um, bringing them into the 90s, in 1998, they joined into an abortive con- uh, abortive uh, team-up with Hitachi, yeah, that Hitachi, to make an amusement park. Turns out it didn't work out. Um, they've really only made one thing since Hunter x Hunter, but it's been enough to keep them afloat. They made fucking Babe... Well, okay, so it's three things, but th- they're all affiliated. Um, Beyblade, Beatamon, and Duel Masters. Interesting. So the merchandising of those kept them afloat into the 2010s, where now, in 2010, the founder and director, Koichi Motohashi, died and left it to his daughter, who has taken the company in other directions. Like, in 2016, they signed with the city that they live in to run tourist stuff with Sanrio, who's also there. Oh. And so there's, uh, like, they do amusement park stuff with Sanrio. And they also ran a cafe from 2016 to 2019. Huh. Like a, yeah. a, a Sanrio? type cafe or just a uh no no no. they they run a uh i think this one's based on their uh world masterpiece theater thing so wow. probably you just have like japanese people dress up as tom sawyer and shit it's like and here's anne frank this is regrettable do you think they played tom sawyer by by um rush there i highly doubt it they probably should have <sighs> god damn it um so enough about Nippon Animation. Um, now I want to tell you a little bit about the release of Hunter x Hunter across different territories. Um, it's it's pretty interesting, actually. Hunter x Hunter was released officially in a bunch of different places. It's uh, The 99 version was originally run from 99 to 2001. And um, I know that it came to the Philippines in 2002, but like, there's not many records of like what year it got there. I'm basing this on like someone who tweeted at us, too. And I'm like, you know, I'm just going to take you as... as like, word of God. Cool. But it got to the, the next major dub was in 2003. It came to the Middle East on a channel called Space Tune um, as Alkanas or Alkinas, which just means the sniper. So I think they took the idea of Hunter and then they're just like, yeah, what do Hunters do? I don't know. Shoot guns. Yeah, Alkanas. And uh, we actually use the Arabic cover they do for their version of the beginning as our ending. But that Arabic version is actually just a cover of the original Japanese. So you get the idea. It's a cover of a cover. Oh, yeah. Uh, So in 2003, it came to the Spanish-speaking world on ETC TV as Cazador X. Cazador means hunter. So just Hunter X was the name. I guess Cazador X. So there, I have a 99% surety that they actually pronounced the X in that title. Uh, It then came to another Chilean channel... Um, Chile was going through a, an economic boom at the time so that's probably part of the reason that it was Chile focused until 2005 when it came to Animax Latin America and broadcast all over the continent in 2006 uh, it came to France In 2000, uh, later in 2006 it came to Brazil as uh, Hunter x Hunter Casadores de Tesoros which literally just means Hunter Hunter Hunters of Treasure Um. And this, int- interestingly, this uses an instrumental intro, neither using the Japanese nor dubbing it. And it's really weird that this came here this late because Brazil was the first country to get Yu Hakusho. Well, one of the first countries outside of Asia to get Yu Hakusho in like 97. So it's incredibly weird how late Hunter Hunter came there compared to other places. 
Um, in 2007, it came to Italy. I, I don't know what the name was there. And in 2009, two years before the new version started and, and 10 years after the original run, it came to the USA on the Funimation channel. Dub was by actually, Ocean, not by Funimation, but it was on the Funimation channel for some reason. I actually do remember watching this. Now, I don't remember. I didn't remember until now. now. Yeah, I had the Funimation. Uh, I used to go to Jersey for the summers, and my grandparents actually had the Funimation channel. That's where I watched a bunch of deta- uh, case clothes on. That's sick and as they, hell. So you saw a little bit of Hunter Hunter without realizing what it was, huh? Yeah, I just saw a bunch of weird clown guys in some weird anime, and I think I changed it, but I did see a little bit of it. Is as formative as your first Yu Hakusho memory of watching Koenma get spanked? Uh, I think the Koenma getting spanked was more memorable, but I do remember watching it, and I thought there was a, I thought it was kind of cool. They had a lot of good shows on that channel, and it's a shame they got rid of that, but they have it actually on like a, the HD thing, but I won't go into that, but you nice. can watch well, anime on TV now still, so. I'm glad we could jog your memory a bit. So in 2009, it came to Spain. Um, on Animax as Hunter Hunter Cazadores de Tesoros, which is this Spanish translation of the Portuguese title, um, spelled nearly the same way. So there's also a couple other versions that I don't have dates for, but um, there's some interesting facts. So there was a Taiwanese version called Liren, which just means Hunter. Uh, I fucked up the tones on that, so don't worry about chastising me. I know. There's a Korean subtitled version that literally is just called Hunter Hunter, even in, in like, uh, Hangul. There's the Tagalog dub that we already mentioned. There's an Indonesian dub. And there's a Cantonese dub as opposed to the Taiwanese one, which is in, yeah, it's for Hong Kong. And it was Chun Zik Lip Dian, which means full-time hunter rather than just hunter. I like how there's the numbers in that. Um, the numbers are tone numbers. I also fucked up the tones on here because even though I was studying this, I've already forgotten um, but yeah, uh, Cantonese, one of the romanization systems uses numbers to indicate tone rather than, uh, diacritical marks like Mandarin uses. That's, that's crazy. So they, they write the tone that's supposed to be set at. Uh, yeah, because, uh, I, I think I may have mentioned this before, but if you don't hit the right tone in Cantonese and most other Chinese languages, you're actually saying a different word. Oh, that's like, that's crazy. Yeah, there's a long process where... So Chinese didn't start as a tonal language. It started as a language with like very different endings, and the endings became more and more indistinct from each other. And through a process called tonogenesis, people started putting tones into words in order to differentiate them, but that's a topic for another time. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I feel like uh, gone when he found out uh, found some stuff out about something else. <laughs> okay, cool. Sorry, I'm, I I just realized it was spoilerish, but when God, it was a I thing, figured, I figured it was. I'm like, I think I know what you're about to say, and you probably shouldn't say it, so I was glad. Yeah. Um. Anyways, the U.S. DVDs were still coming out in late 2009, so yeah. Um. Expensive. Yeah, expensive and incredibly late. So, and that was remember by that time people were already like torrenting the shit out of stuff, and there were fan subs everywhere. So like, that was probably like a futile effort. I mean, it was a messy place back then. It really was. Anyways, so the relationship between 1999, the TV series, and the OVAs, most of the cast and crew were a subset of the TV cast with one prominent exception. Like, basically, they're just slightly less people, but one person got very switched out. Um, the TV series director, Kazuhiro Furuhashi, who had previously made Rurouni Kenshin, left the studio to make Get Backers and eventually Gundam Unicorn. He was replaced by Satoshi Saga, and this became a tradition with each OVA series as Saga was replaced by. Yukihiro Matsuhira 
and he was replaced by uh, Tageshi Hirota. I'm wondering if this was because they were bad or if this is just like, oh, we had like an agreement to kind of share in this way. Yeah, uh, I think my final section is about Sahashi Toshihiko, who is the composer. He was born in 1959 in Tokyo. And uh, as a kid, he listened to Beethoven and watched a lot of tokusatsu shows, including Britain's Thunderbirds and Japan's Ultra 7 as a kid, inspiring him. And uh, oh. he was in a band called, I'm, I'm not joking, Inabando, uh, with three other people, one of whom was maybe, one of whom was... Uh, maybe the namesake of the band, Naoto Inaba. Uh, Inaba went on to be a famous architect and travelogue writer, like hugely popular in Japan. Uh, so the composer graduated Tokyo University, uh, Tokyo National University of Fine Arts and Music in 1986. And while still in school, he was in charge of the Tokyo Disneyland show music. And he was the keyboardist of the prog rock band Kenso from 1982 and continued until 1990. So that continued after college. And they co-wrote some of the music in 1986's Saint Seiya. And they later wrote the music for the Saint Seiya musical in 1991 and returned for anime remakes in 2012 and 2015 as the main composer. So basically, this guy went on to become Mr. Saint Seiya music. Man, imagine imagine like composing music 30 years ago and then you came back for it 30 years later. That's kind of crazy. It is pretty cool. Saint Seiya is like one of those things that's like way more popular in Japan and Latin America than it is in the U.S., um, so he credits his brass and rhythm heavy style with watching 007 and foreign sci-fi as a kid. Oh, so cool. I think a lot, he spent a lot of time just humming the James Bond theme to himself is how I read that. Uh, some interesting points of his work history. Uh, he may, he worked on some movies, including fatal, uh, fatal fury in 94, Tokimaki Memorial in 97, the, uh, movie but this might be hearsay as, uh, they were involved in an OST of some sort, but I can't find the specifics of it. They did the OSTs for a bunch of dramas, a bunch of tokusatsu, including all of Ultraman from 93 to 2009. Um, most of the Sentai, oh no, he was intermittently on different Sentai releases from 96 to 2017. And he did Kamen Rider from 2000 to uh, 2019. In terms of anime, uh, Fatal Fury, Angel Links, The Big O, so that one's pretty sick. Hunter Hunter, Full Metal Panic, uh, Gundam Seed. Oh, I wonder if... Part of the reason he got the Gundam Seed thing was knowing some of the people who would eventually go on to work on it, who were the director previously. Did Saint Seiya 2012, Saint Seiya Golden Soul 2015, uh, and the current Digimon Adventure series. Uh, also, apparently, he did the composition for Blue Stinger, which was a game. Um, stage musical, I, I mentioned most of these, um, but one of them, they also did the Hunter Hunter 2001 one. This is not the one we saw. That one's Nightmare of Zoldic, and I think that's a different composer. Um, and they also did all, I think, all or most of the uh, Sailor Moon musicals. Um, the one in 2017 I actually saw in theaters. And <laughs> this is weird, um, but a uh, random note, but someone left this comment on his My Anime List page. I, I <laughs> I'm not going to say who wrote it in case he finds this and murders me. But it says, my most deep felicitations because you are a marvelous musician and composer. Today, 22nd October 2016, I'm listening for the very first times your music, and in my opinion, you are the contemporary Mozart. I'm a composer too, and I recognize the great value in music when I listen to it. Anyway, that's it for me. 
I um, have a section about the writers and the producers for the TV series. So I'm actually going to start out with the series director, Kazuhiro uh, Furuhashi. He was born in 1960 in Hamamatsu City. He originally started out as an animator for the adaptation of Rumiko Takahashi's of Inuyasha fame. Um, this was of her manga Uruse Yatsura. I think it's like a rom-com. Yeah, it's a it's a very Ranma style rom-com. Yes, but I don't think there's anything supernatural with it. Uh, yeah, it's about aliens who come to Earth and then one of them wants to mate with the main character and that pisses off his like pseudo girlfriend uh classic <laughs> classic good anime 90s 80s <laughs> uh so he eventually moved on to episode direction and series direction uh for ranma one half and he often teams up with animators like norio matsumoto atsuko nakajima and hirobi uh suzuki and he's really well known for more realistic portrayals and first-person views in his uh, directorial and storyboard works. Um, it's almost like a realistic production that reminds people of like old-school Japanese movies, the live-action kind. Oh. And he has a—he's known for detailed facial facial work um, in the camera work and. That particularly shows the character's emotions, the action, and depiction of sword fighting. And over the years, he has worked in numerous productions with Studio Dean. And that's where he also began his directorial uh, career. And so besides the one I just mentioned before, he also worked on Veroni Kenshin, Get Backers, and <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember Neo Yokio. The I, one I, with, I was uh, surprised Jaden to see that. <laughs> he was actually the director. <laughs> yeah, no. So it's interesting seeing, because um, I saw a lot of camera, like IRL type camera movements that he incorporated filmically in 99. And like, I was like, man, this really reminds me of Roroni Kenshin. So seeing this, I'm like, ah, oh, yes, I feel validated. Yeah. I wonder if he was behind the big Toblerone. What? It's... Didn't he have like a, 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 a so close one? I remember a picture of Neo Yokio of him carrying oh, like a giant oh, oh. Toblerone or something. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen Neo Yokio. Either Jaden Smith. Uh, the director or the guy from Vampire Weekend because he wrote the anime. <laughs> what a interesting eclectic uh, mix. Yeah. Uh, and so he, as far as I can see, he wasn't involved in the 2011 adaptation. So Yeah, I'm finding very few people from 99 were involved with 2011. And if they were, it was like very much side characters. Right. Yeah, so everyone that I'm covering, no one was involved. <laughs> um, so I focus on the screen main screenwriters and scriptwriters for the series. First being Masashi Sogo. Uh, he wrote 14 episodes. You, you don't and, need to tell us which ones. Yeah. <laughs> and so he uh made his screenwriting debut after working as a production assistant for an animation uh for an anime at a production company 
and he mainly worked on animes, but he's also worked on screenplays for live action series. And so his most prominent set that he worked on has been Rurouni Kenshin, Metabots, GTO, Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters, Prince of Tennis, Bleach, and the new Digimon Adventure. Wow, this guy basically um, shaped our childhoods. (laughs) More Metabots, more power indeed. (laughs) Prince of Tennis is legit, though, if you guys never watched it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was one of my favorites. Uh, so the next writer is Nobuaki Kashima, Kishima, and he made his um, anime like screenwriting debut with the anime Perman, and with this, he actually won the Noble Modern Rookie Award. Oh, he actually won that for a different one called Final Game in 1986. And in addition to being in charge of screenplays and series compositions for various animes, he's always he's also worked on manga originals um, under the pseudonym Yotsuyabun. Um, and he did this with Mikio Matsushita and Rumi As- Asu. Sorry for butchering all the pronunciation. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, and he's also written all the written for the feature-length films for the Doryman movies. Um, and I think it was when the death of, like, the main writer, Fujika F. Fujio. And he did this up to... FFF, baby. Yes. <laughs> and he did this up to the 2004 movie, Doryman Nobita's One Neon Time in Space Then. Say that, like, ten times. <laughs> um, the work that he's done like most prominent stuff has been slam dunk rave ish eye shield 21 and katsukiyo hitman reborn and he was actually involved with the 2011 anime um he helped write for the movie hunter hunter the last mission which was released in 2013 Ooh, that's um yeah, that's widely considered a bad movie, so I'm wondering. Oh. <laughs> Makes sense. Rip. <laughs> All right. Uh, next writer is Ryota Yamaguchi. He wrote 12 episodes. And so he originally was a producer for the production company Sunrise. And then he was taken under the wing of the animator animation director Suji Iuchi. Um, and most of this was because he, he originally had, uh, aspirations to become a screenwriter himself. And so he made his screenwriting debut for the 13th episode of the anime Mama Wa Shoujuku, fourth grade. I've never heard of this before, but <laughs> I feel that was a didn't leave Japan anime. Yeah. And so once he left the company, he became a freelance screenwriter and mostly working on shonen and hot plotted manga adaptations like Mobile Fighter G Gundam and Metabots. And then later he worked on Digimon Savers and he took 
inspiration from his previous works and made it more of a typical shonen type manga style compare which was different from the previous digimon series have, have you guys watched savers because I, I don't know anything about it i don't like the manga. i don't like the style so i think that was a bad choice <laughs> but, um I, yeah I'm, I'm just wondering just because like i'm wondering what is the difference because like the other the other ones i can see elements that were not quote-unquote shonen but i'm wondering what they explicitly took out i think the setting in the history slightly different and if i remember watching a random clip or two the i could be wrong so i apologize to anyone who likes the series but i feel like there's a much a lot more cross world with like the digimon in the human world or in the all that stuff i think it was like digimon were a lot more common and aware in digimon savers I could be wrong. I'm. I might be pulling this out of my ass, so I apologize to any fans. Yeah, I. I don't really remember it. I know it was after the ones where the kids they went to the Digimon world and they actually literally transformed into Digimon. I oh, think it was the series after that where it, it, the art style was different. Like it was very like round. I don't know if you guys ever watched the animation of powerpuff girls no i never did oh they had similar art styles kind of like it was like round like big eyes like kind of like zatch bell-esque oh my god i haven't thought about (laughs) zatch bell in a while yeah i don't know how else to describe it that's what we're always reminding me of uh yeah and so he has done a lot actually a lot of famous not just shonen but there's he worked on Sailor Moon. He worked on Vis- of Escaflone, Rev- Revolutionary Girl Utina, but he did it under pseudonym uh, Noboru Higa. I'm wondering how many of the people on that did it under pseudonym because, like, it's a pretty. Um, I guess at the time it was kind of like taboo. Some of the stuff they were talking about, right? I don't know. I mean, and he worked on Cowboy Bebop. He worked on Metabots, One Piece, and then, of course, Digimon Savers. And he was not involved in the 2011 remake. And next is Yoshiyuki Suga. And he was mainly in charge of the script um, writing and series composition. He's a member of the Writers Guild of Japan. And he also did a lot of adaptations um, based on manga from Shonen Magazine. He worked on Saint Seiya. He worked on both Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. Um, Also Ranma One Half and Slam Dunk in GTO. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. And... Now we're moving on to the producers. The executive producer was Koichi Motohashi. Uh, he was the founder of Nippon Animation. So what we were talking about earlier, uh, we were talking about the history. 
he was like very much involved. So the stuff that he worked on was kind of tied to like that masterwork theater stuff. So a lot of like the Anna Green Gables, Christopher Columbus, Grim Fairy Tales and Little Women animation, like animated adaptations. He also worked on like a Dragon Quest saga, Elvin Roto. Yeah, I hadn't heard of this one because I know of two Dragon Quest anime, but I've not heard of this one. So I'm surprised there might be a third. Yeah, I I think it was released, if I remember correctly, somewhere in either the 70s or 80s. It would have had to um, have been the 80s. Dragon Quest started in the 80s. Yeah. And the producer, um, this was for the Fuji TV run. It was uh, Daisuke Kawakami, and he, I couldn't find any information about his, like, but you know he worked on both the original Digimon Adventure and then Digimon Adventure 2 also Digimon Tamers he worked on Dr. Slump, Helsing and Initial D, second stage good series Hmm? sorry go ahead I was just saying that's a good series, I like the second stage yeah I always never, I actually haven't had the chance to watch it yet but it's really good, it, it gets you into cars very fast so if you if you're not driving manual by the end of that series, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> uh, next producer is Kichi Matsuda. Um, he's worked on stuff like Hitalia Axis Powers, uh, the Veroni Kenshin, the main series, and both OVAs. He's also worked on Hello Kitty Cinderella. <laughs> And the Junji Ito collection. Um, then there is Sunichi Kaso. Koso. Oh man, I'm butchering that. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I think he's worked on a lot of like those masterpiece collections, like the Tom Sawyer, the Jungle Book Shonen Mowgli, and Little Women. Um, but he's also worked on some modern ones like Oni Guy, My Melody, uh, Polly, and then Witchblade. So, pretty diverse. And yeah, that's pretty much it with writers and producers. All right. So, next we're going to talk about the Japanese voice cast or the Seiyu for the 1999 TV series. Starting off with the main hero. The main guy of the event, um, Gon Seiyu's, is Junko Takeuchi. Uh, you may recognize her from a more modern series that's very much inspired by Hunter x Hunter. But starting off with her background, she was born in 1972 in Saitama um, Prefecture. Originally, she didn't intend to become a voice actress. She was more into doing more stage work, including ballet um and then she originally enrolled in nihon university college of art but dropped out after two years and she decided she wanted to join a theater company called bq map and there she performed on stage and eventually got the opportunity to do voiceover work which led to her career in voice acting she currently belongs to an agency called OG Pro The Next, 
and is married to a fellow voice actor, Kenji Hamada, who is known for um, being in Korko's basketball as Tepi Kiyoshi. They have two kids together. Um, so she is well known for being some of the very loudest boys in shonen anime. One being Naruto Uzumaki. Um, he also she also did uh, Digim- the Takuya Kanba from Digimon Frontier, um, and also Mamoru Endo from Inazuma Eleven. And then she also has a lot of awards. She won the Kids Family Award for. Oh, you the- skipped. You skipped someone very important. Oh, sorry. The Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters, Mokubu Kaiba. So not Seto Kaiba, but you know, his like kid brother. Yeah. Damn it, Mokuba. <laughs> Always getting captured and shit. I know. I was like, oh, that's something different in terms like she wasn't completely typecast all the time. <laughs> um yeah, so she's won a lot several awards for her voice work and she was in the musical. Actually, all the voice actors, um, at least for like the main four, and also Hisoka were in the musical that we covered earlier. Yeah, it's um, weird to think that the voice actors of Naruto is in the Hunter Hunter musical. Yeah, but when you look at their his like their work, it makes sense. They're all. Yeah. I think most of them, if not all of them, have background in theater. Hmm. Which is cool. And was she involved in the 2011 anime? No, not to be old. She's working on Naruto, probably. Believe it. <laughs> Believe it. Believe it. So, yeah. And next, we're going to go cover uh, Kilowa Seiyu uh, Kanako Mitsuhashi. Uh, she was born in 1978 in Yokohama City. She made her voice acting debut at 18 years old, and she had also formed a music unit um, called Belle de Cetera with a actor named Sada. Um, they she was also married to a fellow voice actor named Koji Yusa, but they got divorced in 2012. Um, her roles haven't been as like extensive. Um, compared to Junko's, but some well-known are the gunslinger girl as Rico, absolute boy as Miki Miyama, and Suzuka as Suzuka Asahina. Have you guys heard of any of these shows? Uh, I know of gunslinger girl, but... Yeah, that's the only one I know of yeah, as well. Yeah, same. Yeah. Only Su- oh, I thought it said Suzaku. I was like, uh, isn't that from uh, Code Geass? <laughs> no, Suzaku, as we've covered, is from ancient Chinese mythology. Uh, trumpet noises. Yes. yes. And next is for Kurpika Seiyu, Yuki Kaida. Um, born on in Japan in November and also was raised in the Senjuku ward. Uh, she actually in, did her... Uh, college in San Diego, California, in the International University of Art and Music, and there she majored in musical theater. 
She returned to Japan to work on voice acting, and she's fluent in English and also um, competent in French and Chinese. This, and this feels this, like someone was like training themselves to be Kurapika. Yeah, <laughs> you know, doing the most. Yeah. And she's also a prominent radio personality. Um, she's the current announcer for a radio show called Nightly Yours and is part of a voice acting unit with Junko um, Takauchi and then Junko Minagawa. They all did a radio program called Aussie Radio together. And she has co-starred in many animes with Hisoka's seiyu Hiroki Takahashi. And they were uh, co-hosts for a radio program called Hiroyuki Takata Radio City Hall. Oh, I think that's where they meet in an abandoned building and, and talk about how they're going to betray the Phantom Troop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they barely had to act at all for that. <laughs> there it is literally being themselves. So she has a very wide range, um, but has been calmly typecasted as a Bishi boy. Um, besides Kravika, she was she did the voice for uh, Shusuki Fuji in Prince of Tennis and also China for Hetalia Axis Powers. And random note for a anime called Genji Ken, she played a character called Angel Burden who only spoke English. Wasn't that also that same role, the Bishi boy? No, he's like a very uh, busty blonde uh, American <laughs> who no. I think was kind of living. I think the anime is about like otaku, so I think it was like she was kind of like a, a, a weeb. I'm I'm curious <laughs> to watch this now. Although I do think it's interesting that they played uh, China and Hitalia. Yeah, I think it runs along the line like very much like pretty pretty boys yeah hot-blooded mm-hmm. 103 got a fever of 103 nice all right so liario seiyu is hozumi goda he was born in 1957 in tokyo japan and but he lives in hiro city in the kanagawa prefecture he is a voice actor an actor and a sound director with OG Pro the next, so the same agency as Junko Takauchi. Uh, he originally was inspired by the veteran voice actor Kei Toyama. Um, and because he because of him, he applied for the third amateur voice actor drama contest. And the contest organizer actually gave him the name, the stage name Hozumi Goda. And he's done a lot. So he's like part of a three-man comedy group. Um, he's took a voice, a break from voice acting, but eventually returned in 1995 in order to take over the role from Kei um, who passed away that year. The role was for the legend of the Galactic Heroes. Uh, the character was Yang Wei Wenli. And I need to uh, watch that show at some point. It's considered like the most mm-hmm. ultra political political anime. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it's basically like, hey man, what if we did something like Gundam in the far future, but like everyone's using ships and the ships are really not the focus. It's everyone arguing about the ethics of battle. So it's like political drama and sci-fi? Yeah, basically. <laughs> nice. Huh, that actually sounds very interesting. Yeah, that's one of the main characters. He's like he could be considered the antagonist, or you could just consider him like a deuterotagonist. Mm. Yeah, and so he's done anime du- he's done anime voice work, he's done dubbings for uh for like western shows, and then he's also done TV dramas. He also founded the Shonen Actor School in 1999 and works as a sound director. And he also has a YouTube channel. Um, if anyone wants to find it, it is called H Haas Mix TV, all one word, H O Z Mix TV. And I haven't watched it myself, but it kind of looks like a kind of like a vlog style. Yeah. Yeah. Smash in, like, and subscribe. <laughs> Smash yeah, that like button. Um, yeah, and so he's done a lot of voice work, but aside from what he's done for Hunter Hunter and Legend of Galactic Heroes, not many leading characters. So, like, the... I think the other one I kind of recognized was the Beast Wars Super Life Form Transformer as Rio Convi, and then the Armor Trooper Votums is Chiriko Kuvi. Yeah, uh, Kiriko is the main character of that show, and um, that show is, uh, that show is quote unquote. Um, have you guys ever heard of the real robot genre? Like so a, real robot is no. opposed to super robot, which is basically like, hey, what if you had mechs that behaved realistically? And Gundam is the founder of the real robot genre in contrast to all the super robot shows that came after it. Gundam ah. has since incorporated a lot of like mysticism and like weird sci-fi shit. Armored Trooper Bottoms was kind of a reaction to that and debuted between the first two series of original Gundam. And it's like the most hyper realistic. Oh, so it's kind of like if putting realistic uh science and logic to the robot is it like giant robot anime uh it's medium-sized robot um but Ah. like it starts out ultra realistic and then like you gradually find out that like the main character may or may not be like the inheritor of some weird space god but that's much further into it but like yeah that's the main character so it's really weird seeing how leorio in all these series other than hunter hunter the voice actor seems to have played very serious characters That's it. Oh, that's cool. I mean, he he's done a lot, but those are the big ones. Um, where next is Hisoka's Seiyu Hiroki Takahashi. Uh, he was born in Japan, in Tokyo, Japan, on in 1974. He had the childhood dream of becoming a professional wrestler and was a fan of Satoru uh, Sayama. Real quick trivia note on that. That guy is, his wrestling name was Tiger Mask. He's the founder of MMA in Japan. Oh, Wait, nice. what the heck? This guy's wrestling name is Tiger Mask? Yeah, t- Tiger Mask was like three different people, but he's the famous Tiger Mask who started the first MMA organization in Japan that was not a, it was not a pro wrestling organization. It's called Shuto, and it predates the UFC by like eight years. 
Fun fact, this is the second podcast in a row that I, I've talking about Tiger Mask. <laughs> really? God damn it. The last one was I did a Fire Pro Wrestling a game on the Super uh, uh, the Saturn that had oh, yeah, translation of Tiger Mask of is it. a big fucking deal. Yeah. He's one of the most popular pro wrestlers of all time. And actual martial artist. Decent anime, too. Oh, yeah. There's like two animes based on him, I think. Anyways, continue. Yeah. So he realized that this dream of becoming a professional wrestler wasn't in the cards for him, mostly because the amount of dedication and physical um, like work that has to go into being a wrestler. So he turned to other shows in like other careers in show business. Uh, he eventually was looking at magazine articles and de- decided to apply um, for the Voice Actor and Talent Training Center, the CHK Voice Actor Center. Uh, he also went to vocational school, the Tokyo Announce Gakuin Broadcasting Voice Actor School. And he is a member of a seven uh member male unit for voice actors called mystery new unit sta star men oh i think that's star men ah star men (laughs) so it's star star men (laughs) he is also married um they to aiko aihashi and they have one kid together yeah and some of the work that he's been in uh He's played Eiji Kikumaru from Prince of Tennis. He's played Katsuya Jonochi from Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters. He oh, you mean has- Brooklyn Joey? <laughs> yeah, Brooklyn Joey Joey. Wheeler, for people that don't know. <laughs> he, he is also voiced Japan from Hetelia Axis Powers and then Ryu from Street Fighter. That's some range to play Japan and Ryu, who are very much like the characteristically stoic idea of a Japanese man, and then play Chonoichi. <laughs> Someone's got to play Doichi. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But yeah. I'm actually watching the Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, Duel Monsters in Japan, uh, the subversion, mm-hmm. and it's actually really good. I started listening to a Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast that I that might be of interest to you. You should check it out. It's called Pod, Pod of Greed. Greed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know about it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's pretty good. You- UK has always been a very interesting series. I remember watching it as a kid and then reading like the first few volumes of the manga. Oh, no. Like it's just so it was like just so extreme, like the tonal difference. But then yeah. I think it mellowed out. I'm gonna stab this cash. Oh yeah, the stab cash, that's a really great one. But yeah, Yami kills people in that one. <laughs> that's so crazy. <laughs> now what if God they censored it for the Four kids, because I think Kid B would have been a little traumatized. I actually remember when that came out, the the manga, the or Shonen Jump, and I was like, oh sweet, first issue of it, it has a Yu Gi Oh card and it has a Yu Gi Oh uh, manga in there. And I read it, and it's like he's fucking stabbing his hand with a knife, and then he threw some guy off a roof. I was like, um, what the fuck did I just watch? Card or games, read? baby. Yeah. <laughs> and. The final character we're covering is for Krolo. His seiyu was Yoshikazu uh, Nagano. Nagano. 
sorry. <laughs> and he was born in 1972 in Kyoto. Uh, he got the nickname Hamachan from his fellow voice actors because he resembles uh, a comedian named Masonori Hamada, uh, who was part of a duo from called Downtown. Uh, trivia, Downtown is the group that Hunter Hunter is kind of named after because the uh togashi was watching downtown and they kept on repeating phrases and he's like oh hunter hunter oh wow hey do you think his casting could have been intentional or it's just like a happy that'd be surprise? very weird it'd be kind of funny but i think it's more just a coincidence and how big downtown is uh. <laughs> it's like somebody getting inspired by a uh, monty python <laughs> yeah so uh he was also part of a theater unit called Chatter Gang, who was sponsored by Kenichi Ono, and they were engaged in theater activities uh, until 2007. His special skill is bowling, and his hobbies is watching martial arts. And some of the work that he's been in is kind of random. So Beast Wars, Neo Super Life form, Transformer, Prince of um, as Survive, who's in Prince and Tennis as Masa Masami Toho, and also sells at work Black as Strephocosis Lamomiai, <laughs> and also for the Japanese dub of Rograts, he was uh, Drew Pickles. Wow. I like the I like the thing that he had to do that the chocolate pudding uh, sk- skit. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I knew enough Japanese to do that right now. I was actually watching the chocolate pudding clip like yesterday. Oh, was it because you were up too late and lost control of your life? Yeah, pretty much. I, I think my favorite version of that is the the one from uh, Gurren Lagan. I haven't seen that. <laughs> I'll, put it in the, I'll put it in the chat. Okay, I'll check it out later, but that sounds great. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. So there's a lot of other voice work, but... I thought I'd focus on at least the main four and then the more central antagonists. Nice. Yeah, sounds good. Cool. Cool. Okay. Um, and now a word from our compatriots and benefactors. With a purposeful grimace and a terrible smile, join Nikki and Wyatt as we stomp our way through the history of Toho's Dai Kaiju films in Discuss All Monsters. Are you telling me we're going to discuss all monsters? We won't stop until there isn't a monster left to discuss. Smash that play button like Godzilla and King Kong smash an 18th century Japanese pagoda. Only on the Greenlit Podcast Network. There are a lot of podcasts with comic book reviews and interviews with some of the greatest creators in the industry, but only one will tell you scientifically what the worst comic book of all time is. And the best. We've been ranking comic book stories for six years. We have a list with over a thousand comics on it, and we're adding more every month. More Rocket Ajax on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Okay, and we're back. So we're going to be talking about the 1999 intro and outro music. So we're going to start with the first opening, Ohio, by the band Kino. Um, they were, the band was named after the casino game Kino. They're a rock group that were active from 1998 to 2001. Members included Hiro, Tamura, Nagata, um, that were during the time of the 
um, Ohio, the song, which translates to Good Morning. Um, but after their fourth single, Palat, they switched to some different members. Um, there's like some, the tie-ups, uh, they did a lot of like commercials and song songs for commercials that included animes and dramas. Um, Hunter was Hunter Hunter was essentially the only anime that they did songs for. And um yeah, so Hiro, aka Narumi Kazuto, went to on to write lyrics and produce and compose for a lot of popular J-pop artists, including a lot of Johnny's group. If you don't know that, Johnny's is basically a huge conglomerate of boy bands oh okay i was like i don't know what the fuck a johnny is uh some popular johnny's groups was like say hey up arashi um i was into this back i was early gonna say that's trip. i'm pretty sure you know this <laughs> yeah, so, um so yeah and then um after that nagata um he later formed a group called kuri which did a lot of Music for anime and TV, including Nanaka, Six Sex Sixteen, and School Days ending theme. Um, and they were not involved in the 2011 anime. Uh, real quick, one interesting thing is this song, Ohio, is effectively 99's Departure. Because instrumental versions of and remixes of it are used everywhere. And it's like the iconic song for the show. Like, all the other openings and endings are not nearly as popular as this song. Ooh, that's good to know. Very suiting. Um, okay, so we're going to go to the next opening, which is Wino or Wino's. I think it's Wino. I think it's in reference to being an alcoholic. Okay, so it's Wino's Tayo wa Yorumo Kagayaku, which... Um, the band started in 1995 and it was he- they were heavily influenced by like 90s UK rock and the Britpop movement Oof, which I, that sounds like I would vibe with that. Um the it's not based off of Oasis cuz Oasis is trash. <laughs> that is an opinion I kind of agree with but um so the Hunter Hunter opening became a smash hit. But it became difficult to work with it due to a lot of, like, the contractual relationships after, I guess, like, the song came out and, I guess, the band members and stuff. So the group ended up dissolving in 2002. Um, Yeah, so kind of what Joe mentioned earlier, the band's name was taken from the English word wino, like a alcohol addict and everything. So I think that kind of probably fitted with their genre music Um, yeah if you if you hear it it's um it's interesting it's a very dark song the the title literally translates to the sun shines even at night Mm -hmm. and it's the one of just like kurapika's eyes turning red and him chasing the phantom troop through the streets Mm, yeah that that's that seems like it's very fitting um so i guess with like the tie-ups with like everything um it was they did a lot of commercials and they were an indie band but 
Yeah, but popular one. And they were not involved in the 2011 anime. We're going to go into the OVA opening. And this is the first one. Um, this was by Kenichi Kurosawa. Then song was called Pale Ale. And then the first, and I guess he did the first ending for the OVAs. And that was called Carry On. So Kenichi um, is a Japanese musician, music producer. He did a lot of vocals, born in Hitachi City. Um, we're very deep into a lot of his information. One prominent thing was that um, he was a blood type B and that his... Sorry, um, my my phone keeps on blinking out, so I might mm. redo that. So, um, so yeah, he's a blood type B, and his brother is a, also a musician, um, Hideki Kurosawa. Um, unfortunately, he passed away from a brain tumor at the age of forty eight, um, and he was not involved with the two thousand eleven anime. Um, you didn't get a lot of information about the second OVA opening, so called Wish, Wish is Prey. So we're gonna go into the third opening for the OVA, and that's it's a pretty cool song. That there, that's your information. Yeah, <laughs> there's actually a Prey song in uh, Gintama. That's 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 the its first opening. Oh, nice. oh, oh, like same band? Or oh wait, no, no. just the name of the what song the is also just called the same Prey. Name. Okay, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to go into the third OVA opening, and that's Sunflowers, Gardens, Believe in Tomorrow. And um, there, I guess they did the ending as well, and the ending is pretty long. If you and I couldn't meet in this world, well, dang, <laughs> that sounds, uh, I never heard of it. So is it angsty or something? Uh, I don't remember which one that is, but I have a feeling that, is part of the long tradition of Gone and Kiloa having very homoerotic songs anyways. <laughs> anyways, the band consisted of four men and women. Um, they were from Kanazawa City, and they were active from 1997 until 2005. They've made a lot, some albums, but not a lot of anime work other than the OVA and... Um, Essentially, the opening and ending were the same song, but the background music was different from episode seven of the OVA. So, um, yeah, and then they weren't involved with the 2011 anime. So, um, yeah, and then we're kind of go we'll go a little bit back for the OVA second ending. That was by. Lakuni Simokawa. Um, the song was Popcorn. She was a voice actress born in 1980. And yeah. So I think she did a lot of music, it looks like, for a lot of animes. Yeah, of, of note, there's Sayuki Fumofu. Uh, they were in Blue Dragon, which is weird. Um, they also did the, they did a Maple Story image song, and they did one of the themes to Fairy Tale. Very nice. Yeah. Um, and then we're gonna go into the following song. Is this 
Joe, like one of the endings or openings? Uh, yeah, this is so this is the first ending. And I'd say this is also considered like the most classic ending and trivia. This was used as the opening for the Arabic version. Ooh, that's cool. Okay, so this ending was Monaco Honda's wind song. So Monaco was born in 1967 and passed away in 2005 due to le- leukemia. Um, she was a singer and actress and Japanese idol in the 80s. Um, super prolific, did a lot of different genres of music throughout her career. Um, she like was had some pretty famous songs i'm sure if you like listen to a lot of like the city pop retro music <laughs> youtube playlists out there i'm sure you're gonna like pop have one of her songs are gonna pop up yeah no she she was hyper popular and it's it's really weird because like when she initially came out she would like they tried marketing her as like very sexy even though it was very clear that that wasn't her personality she was much more just like kind mm-hmm. of like a cute person who was just focused on the singing but if you see all her early promotional artwork it's all very just like oh this person's about to fuck oh dang yeah um one of her most famous songs was subasa and it's well known for her holding a long note for 30 fucking seconds dang so yo this next note i did not know but it is insane yeah um so also she performed in Miss Saigon and I guess what happened was a pulley hit her foot during the performance and she sang until the last act and she ended up breaking four toes and requiring 19 stitches so Jeez. oh my god commendable ethic work ethic but oh, so yeah um in terms of like anime um music related music she did the Ishito no Nanja anime opening, um, along with like a OVA for opening for Madonna and um, yeah. A this lot is some of really weird stuff. um romanization because I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be Nadia because like that's Nadia. a Russian way of spelling Nadia mm, or okay. a Russian romanization way of spelling. Yeah, what what the fuck? Yeah, there's a lot of weird mixed romanization going on here. <laughs> um one more thing that's not included here um i think i've told you guys but i don't know if i said it on record but she was friends with brian may of queen like they did a bunch of duets and stuff in the 80s oh that's so cool yeah that's awesome um okay so now we're going to ending two of um the 1999 series so um it was by masato nagai and the song is ijan do you feel like i feel and then the, um, we'll also cover the third ending as well, which is Firefly. So um, I think his stage name was Torikun Birdkun, but um, professionally, I think he still went by Masato Nagai. Um, in the notes, it says that it's not really uncommon for Japanese artists to remain anonymous. And I can probably see why. So... Getting swarmed. Um, yeah, I guess he was self-proclaimed Japan's first professional bird watcher. <laughs> what the fuck? Good for you, bro. <laughs> and song's I guess okay too. So it's just weird hearing this. Yeah, and so I guess like in like 
I guess with the song and maybe with his vibe, he was trying to convey the charm of birds to as many people as possible. What is and, under 199? Yeah, he engaged with a lot of activities related to wild birds, such as bird watching tour guides, writing pictorial books and lectures. A lot of life, his life work was basically a tour of bird cafes. Um, and then he also provided music for John. Pop, j-pop johnny groups such as johnny's jr so oh my god i just had a realization yeah dude this guy must have watched you hawk show when he was younger he's like yeah suzaku's thing with that bird that's what i want baby <laughs> i was about to say that i was about to say that maybe he maybe he watched much you hawk show yeah he yeah. watched way too much of the saint beast arc just on repeat <laughs> you know yeah. good for him he seems like he lived his life to the he's living his life to the fullest yeah i guess he's still alive <laughs> shit we should yeah. find out if he runs a bird cafe now yeah. Also, like the way how his reasoning and everything is explained, that's really common. A lot of like Asian artists, even to today, like Japan and Korean, where like they explain their reasoning behind their like you, their like stage name or their vocals. Like, I want to reach people and show the duality of springtime through my voice. So I thought it was cute. He's done stuff, including. Um, Yu-Gi-Oh! 2, Duel, Yu-Gi-Oh!'s Duel Master Season 2, The Opening Wild Drive, and he's provided lyrics, composed, and produced stuff with Misty, who did the opening and endings for the anime Assault Parappa, Papara Corpse. So. Yeah, just for, 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 for those who don't know, we're reading Megan's notes and we're having a hard time puzzling what the fuck this means. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, it was pretty interesting. I like how diverse a lot of these artists' careers are and what they did. So, yeah, one of them was into birds. Two of them are dead. Yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace. The ones yeah, that rest passed in peace. away. Hopefully, the bird guy is cool and not weird. Yeah, hopefully just bird watching. Yeah. Maybe he he has a giant maze castle and is just waiting for young kids to come and attack it. Oh, oh yeah, man. Category. <laughs> Patrick, how about you tell us all about a veritable maze castle in Canada? All right. So uh the company that dubbed it was Ocean Productions, which is which was founded by Ken Morse Ken Morrison and David Thompson in the early nineteen seventies. And originally it was a music studio called Ocean Sound in North Vancouver. Dude, I know that you don't mean the Dave Thomas, but I'm just like, holy shit, Wendy's founded this? Yes, wait, when, yes, that's why there's all those anime references. So, uh, so in 1979, they moved to another area in Vancouver. I'm not sure, as I'm not, I'm not, I don't know the lay of the land in Canada and Vancouver. Oh, also Vancouver, Canada, by the way, just in case nobody knows. But in the 1990s, Ocean claimed to control about 85% of the market for animation voiceovers in Vancouver, which I'm not sure is a really big bragging thing to have. Yeah, that's like honest, a really I mean, weird, like, petty ganglord thing. Like, we set yeah. up a, a monopoly. Of Vancouver. Sure. So, animation, <laughs> as in both just anime and, oh, like, anime, or animation, like, like western style animation uh they they also they do both animation and anime and western style animation oh, so they wow. they both of them but this is more i mostly focus this one on the anim, anime side mm-hmm. do you know so yeah they have a big hmm? oh sorry i was gonna say they have a big history of dubbing like everything so it's not just uh it's just not ju- it's not just anime that they work on hmm. do you know if they do french canadian dubs 
Because I know Vancouver is not in French Canada, obviously, but like, do you know if they do it just because they're already in country? I don't know. It doesn't look like that. It looks like it's, it's English only stuff. Okay, interesting. But they do have a lot. Like they did a lot of video games. They do a lot of uh, a lot of so inter- international animations, Western animations. So yeah, there's quite. They even do some live action. Oh, they that's weird. They did. They I'll, I'll bring that up when we get to the the history. Actually, it's right here. So let's bring. It. All yeah. right. Yep. So, uh, and it's uh, for people that don't know, this is the the dubbing company uh, that was known for doing the first version of Dragon Ball Z that aired on morning TV, and then later briefly on Toonami back in the day. I think they did Zoids too. Yeah, probably. Um, but uh, some of the some of the things that they dubbed was Death Note, and that's not even the, that's not just the anime. They also live they dubbed the the live action Death Note one and two, the last name. Oh, the Japanese so, live action. At first, I thought you meant the Western live action. I'm like, why nope. did they dub that? And they dubbed the L Change the World spinoff film. So they did, they did all the Death Note, both the anime and live action. And it's funny because you watch it and they actually have the anime voice actors talk over the the Japanese voice actors. That's kind of The cool. Japanese actors, and it's kind of weird. But, um, yeah, so this... Besides Death Note, they did Dragon Ball Z episodes 1 through 67, and then later 123 to 291. Uh, Escaflone, the movie, uh, Fatal Fury, Legend of the Hungry Wolf, The New Battle, and Fatal Fury, the motion picture. Uh, so, a lot of uh, SNK love there. Uh, Rama, one half, Inuyasha, Mega Man, NT Warrior, and Joe's gonna like this. Pretty much every gut mobile suit Gundam from one to wing, so. Mobile Suit Gundam yeah, yeah. Zero. Mobile Suit Gundam is good. The Mobile Suit Gundam dub sucks, and then I'm not a. I haven't watched that much of Seed. Yeah, and then they also did Char's Counterattack, the movie, and Wing. Lala could have been a mother to me. Lol. Anyways, um, the the there's a lot of anime that was dubbed that has a lot of Hunter Hunter voice actor crossover. So uh, the 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 crossover that they dubbed is a. Uh, Full Moon or Sega Sega Shite, a uh, Flame Eureka, both Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball GT, a uh, Mobile Fighters G Gundam, Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam, and then Card Fight Vanguard. I've never heard of Card Fight Vanguard. Is that like it's a- actually it's actually a popular card game in in America right now? Vanguard. Interesting. Yeah, it's one they like play. I, sh- I was thinking of getting into it, but I was like, nah, I'm and good you can fan. Find the different cards you can buy. Yeah, it's like a trading card game, and they have tournaments and shit like Yu-Gi-Oh. Nice. Does anyone stab like their? Does anyone stab cash, or or is that that? That's just me. That's when I go into the shops. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining if someone did that at a tournament, and they're like, "You're out." <laughs> it's it's like don't question my methods. But anyways, I'm going to start on the the history of the voice actors. So there's Eleanor Holt who plays Gone. Uh, Voice actress who frequently works for Blue Water Studios in Calgary, Alberta, which I think I'm pretty sure is a offshoot of of Ocean. Let me double check real quick. But I I'm think sure. so too. I know they yeah, did a is. bunch of dubs as well. Huh? I know they did a bunch of dubs as well. Yeah, they're basically a offshoot of of Ocean. So, um, but but she but she worked on uh, Flame of Recca as Neon. Ironic. A Mega Man X Command Mission as Extra Voices. I don't remember that character. No. Uh, Mega Man Powered Up as Cut Man. And then 
Banner of the Stars as Sobash. Did you watch the old Mega Man cartoon, not the X one, the original one? The American one? Yeah, is that powered up or am I thinking of the wrong thing? Powered up is the that's a video game, sorry. That's oh, that's okay. the that's a remake okay. of Mega Man one on the PSP. Yeah, because if she played the original Cutman, like if you watch the American cartoon where Cutman just like has like a northern Mexican accent in English, it's like, I'm going to kill you, Mega Man. Yeah. No, it's like Weird a Cuban shit. accent, yeah. But I was just like, please don't tell me that was her. Yeah. But uh, uh, she was not in 2011, and I guess I'll say this so I don't have to keep repeating it, but none of the voice none actors the that work. that were involved in 99 had anything to do, or dub-wise, had anything to do with 2011. So just want to throw that out there. All right, so the next one up is An- Anika Odgard. I don't have bad names time pronouncing these, who voiced Killua. Uh, there's literally no info besides the fact that she may have been a contestant on Canadian Idol at one point. So I don't I, I I googled her name and there's a video of it and it looks similar but I don't know if it's if it's one to one her that's was that she does any good? It. Uh no. Anyways, <laughs> um no I actually never watched it. I saw I saw a little clip of her talking. I was like okay, kind of sounds like Killua. So I was I'm guessing it's the same person. But uh, she plays uh on Full Moon Shigasate. She plays Kur Kurara. Uh, My Hime as Akira Ozu Okuzaki, and then Dynasty Warrior in the video game Dynasty Warriors Gundam One Two Three is Loren Kichek. Yeah, I don't know who that is, so I'm guessing that's someone later in the series than I know. Probably. Um, the next voice actress up is Cheryl McMasters, who voices Kurapika. Uh, there's no info on her at all, sadly. Uh, but she was in Card Fight Vanguard as Kurin Tatsunagi. Tatsunagi. Uh, Mahime as Natsuki Kuga, and Dynasty Warriors Gundam Three as Marita Cruz. Yeah, she's from Unicorn. Yeah, and then uh, Gintama as Doctor, and then Gintama as Doctor Narutaki, and then Sensei. I don't know who any of those characters are because I don't watch that far in Gintama. To I'd like honest. to watch Gintama. There's just so much of it. It's funny. The thing, the cool thing about it is that is that it, the filler is also worth watching. Interesting. So it's it's still good to watch. But uh, the next voice actor up is Jonathan Love, who voices Lirio and Zeno. Jonathan sings baritone in a comedy pop men's acapella group called Heebie Jeebies, of which he was a founding member. Okay, this is was cute, a, actually. Yeah. I was a member of the Youth Singers of Calgary and has done quite a lot of shows. Like, I had to cut this down, but there's a ton uh, in Dragon Ball, he played, uh, I'm guessing this ocean dub is Shu, Staff Officer Black, who, uh, unfortunately looks like that in the document. Yeah. I, I don't know why they did that. But, uh, uh, Grandpa Gohan, Giren, Shen, uh, Shen, who as a teenager, uh, Tall Man, and then Tiger Bandit. I don't know who the last two are. Neither do I. It's probably some one-offs. Yeah, uh, Dragon Ball GT, cool. he played Sugoro, Doltaki, Dr. Jiro, slash Android 20, Agent Shu, I guess the Shu, and then Gogeta. Uh, mobile Suit Fighter, mobile, mobile Fighter G Gundam as Michael, Michael Chariot, Andre, Gundam Fight Announcement, and then Con Man A, and then a Doctor. Okay, I really wish they would clarify whether they mean Gundam Fight Announcer, because if so, that guy's man, his canonical name is Stalker, and he wears an eye patch that he takes off every episode to show that he has another eye under it. 
Actually, I'm pretty sure that it actually is him. Yeah, dude, Stalker is the most mysterious character that they never explain. Like, you think he's going to show up in the plot. He never does. He just does intros. Fair. And then Mobile Suit Zig Gundam as Poptimus Sekiro, Catron. Uh, Sirocco. Huh? Or Shiroko. Paptimus Shiroko. Yeah, Keithron, Ma- Matosh, Cocktail Lounge, Peanut Gallery, and then Batch. Okay, so Keithron is a character that technically is in Zeta Gundam and Double Zeta, but he doesn't. No one names him until the like the final episode of Double Zeta. They're like, "Yeah, we all support you," and like everyone like puts their hands in and says their name, and they're like, "Yeah, and Keithron." And everyone's like, "Who the fuck is Keithron?" <laughs> He's Keithron, you know, good good old boy. Yeah, no, all the characters in the show like are like, "Oh yeah, Keithron," but like everyone I've ever talked to who's watched the show is like, "Yeah, we had no idea who the fuck Keithron was till he showed up and nearly died." Lol. All right, and then the next voice actor is Brendan Hunter, who voices Hisoka. Again, zero info. And Dragon Ball, he voices Tien Shinhan in the Ocean Dub. Dynasty Warriors 1 and 2 as Ramus Hasa. I have no idea who the fuck that is. I don't know who that is either. And then Gintama as uh, Aimono Tojo, which is another character I do not know. Um, The next character is Richard Mean, who plays Krolo. No info. I think... I'm not sure if he died or not. There's a obituary, but I'm not sure if it's him. So maybe Rip if he's dead. Uh, the only other show he played on is is Del Toro Quest as Jared slash Indon, the young version of Indon. I don't know what the fuck Del Toro Quest is. Neither do I. Uh, the next one is John Knight as Nobunaga and Goto. No info again. And he only voices Nobunaga and Goto in 99. That's it. Right. Uh, Meredith Taylor Perry is Phaeton. Uh, she voice she vo- she in Mobile Suit Fighter G Gundam. She voices Akino and and Domon Kasho as a young version. Uh, Mobile Suit Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam as Rikoa Lond and Fa's mother. And Dynasty Warriors one to three is Rikoa Londe. I have no idea who that is. So Fa's mom dies immediately. She's in one episode. Oh yeah, of of uh of oh yeah. Fair yeah, enough. and then Rekoa is like sort of an ally of the main crew and then slowly rever- reveals herself to be like a really weird trans-exclusionary feminist, becomes a Nazi, and then gets killed. Huh. Well. Anyways, uh, Byron Close voices Ivankov and Genner. I don't remember who Genner was. I don't but, remember either. But anyways, uh, the shows he was on is Dragon Ball is Master Carrot slash Boss Rabbit. Yeah. The on the moon, then blown the fuck up. Yeah. And then, and then, and then Sherman Priest. Uh, Mobile fight Gene Gunnam is Doctor Mikamura, Emperor of the Neo Chi- of Neo China, old man selling dishes, supported A bouncer, and then Sir William. So, a lot of range of voices on that one. Yeah, Emperor of Neo China is weird because everyone in Neo China is shown to look Asian, and then the Emperor shows up and he just looks white. I don't know why. Weird, and then the mobile suit Zeta Gundam is is Blex Four Mayor Sai Two, and then Melina Hugh Carbine. Those are all important characters. It's weird knowing they're all played by the same person. Yeah. Also, fun story. In recent interviews, it's come out that Melanie Hugh Carbine is supposed to be a terrible anti-Semitic stereotype. Oof. Yeah. Bad feels. And then finally, Steve Olson, who voiced Franklin, ship captain, and Bodoro. Again, no info on them. That's kind of a running theme. 
Uh, in Dragon Ball, they played King Furry, Bear Thief, and then Little Flower's father. Uh, Dragon Ball GT is Old Supreme Kai and General Rildo. Um, Mobile, Mobile Fighters G Gundam is Stalker. Oh, okay, I guess now I'm confused because this is Stalker. Oh, I, I guess not. I guess it is another announcer announcement then. Yeah. Uh, Hiru, Abbott, Street Vendor, Barrier Staff C, and then Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam as Jamitov, Hyman, Gady Kinsey, and then Franklin Bidon. So double Franklins. And yeah, then Franklin Bidon, you know, famous political candidate, soon to be president. Exactly. Also <laughs> abusive father in Gundam. <laughs> Yikes. And then Dynasty Warriors Gundam 1 through 3 as Ranba Ra- Rai. I have no idea who that is. Ranba Rai is like fan favorite character from original Gundam. He he dies there, but he's like the biggest challenge they face to that point, And he basically initiates them into like what real war is. Fair enough. And uh, yeah, that's, that's it. A bunch of no names, unfortunately, that really didn't do much besides like one or two people. Yeah. So aren't you guys like super excited to ever just check out an episode of Hunter Hunter 99 now? Yeah. No. i've been watching the ova for uh york new and i i honestly prefer it to the equivalent 2011 but that said the entire rest of the series is better in 2011 Mm. yeah i don't i don't know yeah i i I definitely see why they remade the show Mm -hmm. for real yeah um i'm i'm kind of confused though so is, is the ova different did that ever get dubbed or was that never dubbed if it was dubbed, I can't find it easily online. Okay, because I can't find any voice actors. I just found ninety nine, and it it shows some of those characters. But I'm guess I think you were saying that uh, that that York New uh, stops. It stops in York New like halfway, and then they finish up in OVAs. Yeah, and I think I think there were dubs for other countries. Like I think there is an official Spanish dub because I think it was shown on TV. And the guy who I was talking to on Twitter said there was an official Tagalog dub like on TV. But I just don't think oh. it ever got officially localized for the U.S. because it was such a specialty product at that time because no one gave a shit about Hunter Hunter in the U.S. Fair enough. That makes sense. Yeah, no. So um, I'm very... I, I would encourage each of you to at least like try one episode of the York News Saga uh, at some point. I think I will try to get the rest of the cast to watch the final episode of the Hunter Hunter 99 OVAs when we get to Greed Island at the end of Greed Island. But other than that, like, yeah... It's mostly only watch it. It's only worth watching the York New Saga in '99. Otherwise, yeah, watch 2011 or read the manga. Okay. Yeah. I'll also definitely have an episode where we're gonna play the songs, the opening and ending songs for '99, and um, you guys can just be like, "How the fuck did this relate to anything going on compared to like the the 2011 ones, which are much more thematically consistent?" <laughs> Yeah, you'll just see like Leorio wearing like a Hawaiian shirt, chilling on the beach, and you're like, "What is going on?" You know, animes and their love of unrelated scenes. <laughs> yeah, and modern quote unquote fashion at the time. So, would ninety nine have a beach episode in that case? No, it's only in the opening and ending. Well, I guess it kind <laughs> of does because remember how I made you guys watch that fucking filler section, or did I make the us watch it, or did I have? Oh yeah, we watched that on the other show, the 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 Battleship Island. No, we watched it for uh, this podcast. Oh, did we? Oh, okay. I could have sworn it's it's one of the episodes we recorded. It, it is, but I think you and I guessed it on another show, and I think it was only you and I who watched it, and the others didn't. Oh yeah, no, that's what happened. But it's still uploaded on our on our Podium, I think. Yeah, so that I guess that's kind of a beach episode, kind of. 
a weird one for sure. It's kind. Of, it's kind of funny after watching the entire show and watching back at that, and it's like, oh, okay. Like seeing every guitar rocker scene, it's like it's just a Lumi being a Lumi. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's just a Lumi. But um, yeah, I think that kind of does it for today. Um, do you guys have anything more to say before I take us out? Nope. No. Hell yeah! Watch the Diary of Anne Frank anime, I guess. Anyways. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Spirit Hunters. Please hit us up with questions, requests, or just a chat at our Facebook or Twitter at Spirit Hunter Pod. Heads up, we finally did it and started a Patreon. Check us out at patreon.com slash spirithunterpod. Throw us some cash for hosting fees and equipment and join our patron-only Discord where we'll be discussing the shit out of Hunter Hunter, Yu Yu, and much more. Speaking of Discord, if you want in but don't have the funds, you can help us another way and give us a written review on Apple Podcasts. Send us the link, your Discord username, and enough evidence to connect them both uh, to you, and we got you. Each review gets a surface to tens or hundreds more people. And, I mean, if you enjoy the show, maybe some of your friends might. Anyways, also, heads up, today's intro music was made by Studio Mega Ane. Check them out on YouTube, Twitter, and most importantly, iTunes. See you on the other side. Later.
Kalau 